Well, good morning, everyone. I'm grateful you're here. Thank you. I'm grateful to Pastor Zach and our worship team. Yes, that is deserving of that. I also was reminded today of the team, of our communication team that works in the sound booth in the back. Yeah, yes. Think about our ushers, greeters, those that, yes. Those who prepare communion. I think about you. I, I was thinking this morning as I was sitting here, I, to, to hear your voices raised in worship and praise of the Lord is such a gift. Becky and I are very grateful that this is our church home. And today we're going to look at this, continue our look at this Sermon on the Mount, this longest recorded words of Jesus. I have an image I'd like you to look at with me. This is the area where most likely this sermon happened in this area. You see the Sea of Galilee in the background. It's a beautiful place. This is called the Galilee it's interesting that Jesus chose this place to begin his public ministry because this was a place of outlaws. For those of you that are familiar with the valley, it's La Frontera. <laughs> it just is. It's where the outlaws went in. But Jesus chose to go there. In fact, his hometown was right near here where he called home in his public ministry. It's called Capernaum, a little village. And he was traveling all around this area, speaking and preaching in their synagogues. And a great crowd began to follow him. And what we know from this story is that he sat down when he saw the crowd. And by the way, that signifies that at that very moment, he's the authority. And we'll see from today's word that he's speaking as the Messiah. When he taught, he taught in winsome ways that people could apply to their daily lives. He made everyone feel welcome. There wasn't, when people came to him, they knew he wanted them there. He fed them physically. Maybe you remember the stories of the feeding of the 5,000 men. He fed them spiritually. The people loved to hear him teach. No wonder great crowds followed him. So we'll pick up where we left off last week. And I invite you, the scriptures will not be on the screen for this reason. I would love for you, I want to invite you to follow along in your Bible. Because of the power of the word of God. We left off last week in Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 21 today. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard it that it was said to those of old you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, can you hear the authority in that? This is the Messiah talking. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, you remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison in cell block B. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And again, he says in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, speaking of the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So Jesus, in that position of Messiah, says, you have heard it said when he spoke about the law, but then he stunningly confronts the law and scripture and tradition with his supremely authoritative words. But I say to you, Christ Jesus wasn't contradicting the law. Oh, no. In fact, earlier in this chapter, he says he didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. But his statement, but I say to you, reminds me of what the Apostle John wrote about him in his Gospel of John. I'm sure you remember these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ Jesus was the Word at that very moment. And he's telling us a new standard, a standard that the law scribes and Pharisees would not even try to keep. He's raising the bar, so to speak, to a place where no one could ever attain. He's giving us new scripture. We heard last week from Pastor Bobby in that wondrous, wonderful exposition that the law posed a great dilemma this. It could tell us what to do, but never enable us to do it. So no one's capable of the law. And now Jesus comes along and says, not only should you not murder, but if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to the fire of hell. And not only should you not commit adultery, if you look at someone with lustful intent, it's as if you've committed adultery. What's a person to do? The Apostle Paul speaks about this in Romans 7, and he uh, says that when, when talking about how to obey the commands of Jesus and that bar that's there, he says, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Have any of you ever experienced that dilemma? Can I see your hands? 
I'm glad every hand almost went up and you're not lying in church today. I have a desire to do what's right, Paul says. But I do the thing I hate. But I love it that Paul goes on to say, the answer to that dilemma is Christ in you. I thought that would get a resounding amen today. It's Christ in us. He's the one. But then the question is, well, what does that look like? This verse I want to draw your attention to when Paul's speaking of this conversation. He says the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. How? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's the answer. But how do we do it? What does it look like in our daily lives? Here's the question for us today. How do we live and walk according to the Spirit and have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I want to spend my last minutes with you today talking about that. It's often I hear from Christ followers this, these questions, these type of requests. Well, pastor, I need wisdom. I'm stuck in a situation that there's no apparent answer. I keep butting my head up against a wall cried out to you, you're silent. Or I hear this, there's a sin in my life that's kept me captive, that I have no freedom. I know I belong to Christ. I know that my eternal place is in heaven, but living here now is hell because of my sin. Or this, I'm facing a huge decision in my life and I need wisdom. Jesus told his disciples that it would be good for them if he went away. I can't imagine what their thoughts were, but he said, if I go away, I will send to you and to us thousands of years later, the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you into all truth. And I hope you're listening with the ears of your heart today. Because to learn to live a Spirit-empowered life is the key to living this life. So let's look at how we can live a Spirit-empowered life, shall we? We'll find it in the book of Galatians. Chapter 5 is where we'll begin, verse 16. And I invite you, if you're able, to stand in honor of reading God's Word. Paul wrote to these churches... With specific intent, these churches were having influencers come in after Paul and telling them that grace is a wonderful thing and salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is wonderful. But you got to do something else. And by the way, if anybody ever tells you that, you do this right now. It's a lie from the pits of hell. The gospel plus anything is a terrible idea. But, he was telling them, look, because they were these Judaizers wanted them to be circumcised, observe the customs. And here's the answer. Verse 16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Why? To keep you from doing 
the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then skip down to verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want you to circle some words in those passages, those verses. There's three verbs that are associated here with the Spirit. The first one is in verse 16. It's the word walk. The Apostle Paul says to live a Spirit-empowered life means to walk in the Spirit. Here's the next one I would ask you to circle. Circle the word led in verse 18, if you would. To live a Spirit-empowered life means to be led by the Spirit. And then last of all, look at verse 25. Circle the word live, if you would. To live a Spirit-empowered life means our very spiritual life comes from the Spirit. This next point is in your notes, and I'm convinced this is the main idea the Apostle Paul wanted to communicate to us today through the Word. And it's this, that a life in the Spirit is a life where we walk, we're led, and where we live in the Spirit. And that life in the Spirit always always involves movement. Always. You can't stay where you are. You can't stay the same and make progress spiritually in the life of the Spirit. That first verb is, he says, I want, I say walk by the Spirit. The notion of walking implies motion. It implies direction. It implies purpose. It implies aim. It means that progress is occurring in your life. Similarly, the second verb is to be led. It means that someone is going ahead and we're following in their footsteps. My question to you this morning is, whose footsteps are you following? The third verb, verse 25 Paul uses is we if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with Him. If we live, if the very air that we breathe, our next breath, if our hearts continue to beat because of the Spirit, Paul says we ought to do something. And here it is. We ought to keep in step, Paul says, with the Spirit. You see that? The notion is that someone is giving us guidance to help our next steps in life, to take our next steps. And our goal should be to be so tuned in, so in touch with the spirits moving and working in our lives that we keep in step. We're not out of rhythm. 
We're not out of tempo. We are right in step with the Holy Spirit. I want you to watch this church. Say you're wondering today, how do I come to sense the greater empowerment of the Spirit in my life? Well, I want to suggest to you that this step you should consider. Ask the Spirit to show you what your next step is. And then take it to show you. You see, sometimes we're stopped. Sometimes we're stuck. And we all do this. We look to the end of the road that we're on. And we cry out, Lord, show me what's at the end. I want to see how this is going to turn out. Before I take another step, will you shine your light all the way to the end? But he typically doesn't do that, does he? Anyone? <laughs> no, typically what he does is he gives us the light for the next step. And then when we're obedient and take that next step, it pleases him. And when we keep in step with the Spirit by taking that next step, then the light shines a little further. Then we take that next step. And right along the journey we go, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. You take that next step. You step into the light that the Holy Spirit gives. You're listening for His voice. You learn to discern His voice. And watch this. He puts His Holy Spirit in us. He put His Holy Spirit in us to guide us, to nudge us, to prompt us in the way that He wants us to go. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. How many of you are pet people? Can I see your hands? Yeah, there's some. How many of you are dog people? I won't even ask about cats, so I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> One of my favorite books that I read is a book by Ken Sandy. Author Ken Sandy is called Resolving Everyday Conflict. And in that book, he tells a story about a lady. And he, Ken Sandy is a jogger. He's a runner. And he was on a jog one morning, and he saw a lady, and she, was, she had a dog, but this dog wasn't a pet. This was a service dog because she was blind. And this, it was a beautiful golden retriever and she's walking down the sidewalk and the golden retriever is leading her. And Sandy said, I was about to pass her on my run and I noticed that there was a car in a driveway that had not pulled all the way fully into the driveway and it had blocked the sidewalk that was right in front of this lady. And he said, just at that moment, he noticed this golden retriever pause, gently press his shoulder against the woman's leg, signaling her to turn aside so they could get around the car. 
And Ken Sandy said, I'm sure she normally followed his lead. But that day, for whatever reason, she didn't trust the dog. Maybe she'd walked this route many times. She knew this was not the normal place for her to stop and and make a detour. Maybe she just thought the dog was wrong. Whatever the case may be, she would not move to the side at his prompting. In fact, she gave the dog a signal to go ahead. The golden retriever once again pressed his shoulder against her leg, tried to guide her to a safe path. And this time, she sort of angrily ordered the dog to go forward. And when the dog again declined, her temper flared. And Ken Sandy said that he had slowed down and almost stopped, and he was getting ready to say something when once again the dog put his shoulder to her leg to nudge her. And sure enough, she'd had enough. And she kicked the dog. And then she very impulsively stepped forward. And you can imagine what happened when she did. She runs dead into that car. She begins to feel with her hand what the shape is. And she immediately realized what had happened. And Ken Sandy said the very next thing that happened moved him to the core of his being. He saw her drop to her knees, throw her arms around that dog, speak sobbing words into his ear. And she stood. She followed his lead around that car. Church, I want us to watch this. God has given us the Holy Spirit to be our companion, to be our teacher, to be our guide. And as we walk through the journey of life with Christ, to take a step into the light, to move down the road, listening for His voice, and obeying His prompting, His nudging as He leads us and guides us. But guess what we do sometimes? We say, I've been down this road. I know the way. Sometimes we quench the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we say, no, don't tell me that. I know the way to go. Sometimes we resist. Sometimes we actively rebel. And when we do, we should not be surprised when we bang up against the obstacle that brings harm and destruction to our lives. We say, Pastor, what do I do if that's me? I won't ask you for a show of hands. Well, you do what this lady did. You fall to your knees. You say, I haven't been listening. I want to pause right here and ask you a question. When you pray, what do you pray? Normally, we're asking the Lord for our request, right? About ourselves, about others. And that's wonderful. But after you pray... Let me ask you this. Do you listen? Do you take the time 
to listen. You can't be spiritually intimate with the Holy Spirit or anyone else if you're doing all the talking. Are you listening? Have you had a circumstance in your life where you're trying to have a conversation with someone and you know they're not listening to you? In fact, they can't wait till the next statement they're going to make. I'm intimate with my wife. If our conversations are always one-sided, what am I communicating to her? And I wonder if the Holy Spirit is like that with us. That we have all our requests for Him. We have things we ask Him to do. And then we don't pause and listen. You be like that lady. You drop to your knees. You say, God, forgive me. Would you now please guide me? And you get back up. Maybe some of you are down today. You get back up. And you continue walking towards the light. Here's the second principle. If you look at this passage carefully, it says that life in the Spirit always, always involves spiritual conflict. Look at verse 16. He says, I, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, what, I want you to watch. Paul opposes two things here. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So what are desires? I included some of this narrative in your notes. It's things that we long for. Things that we crave. I'm craving Becky's spaghetti right now. <laughs> Sorry. Some of our yearnings. And some of those longings come from the Spirit. But some of them are rooted in our flesh. And what does it mean by flesh? Well, it's an interesting word. It can have several different levels of meaning. Sometimes it's just our body. It means just our body. Sometimes it's our human nature. But most of the time when Paul speaks about the flesh, it means our fallen human nature, our sinful nature. And beloved church, culture is telling us a lie, lies these days. Our culture is telling us if you want to be authentic, if you want to be genuine, if you want to be real, if you want to be who you truly are, you always act on whatever your desires are, whatever your yearnings that are coming from within you. What a lie from the pits of hell that is. The Bible is clear. Some of these desires are sinful. They're fleshly. They lead to destruction. And we must evaluate those desires. Are they from the Spirit? Do they keep in step with the Spirit? Do they line up? Here's the most important thing. Do they line up with God's Word? Scripture must always be the lens through which we evaluate the desires in our life. And there will always be conflict as you walk through that. 
If you're in Christ, there's going to be this tug of war. I love what the poet Carl Sandburg, how he puts it. He says this, there's an eagle in me that wants to soar. And there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. The Bible says we say no to the desires that take us into the mud. And we say yes to the desires of the Spirit. Here's the last principle, that life in the Spirit includes the daily practices of both first actively putting to death the flesh. Paul says we crucify the flesh and its desires just as Christ Jesus had a crucifixion to endure. Beloved, I know, I know this is not, this will not tickle your ears, but so do you. There's a crucifixion that each of us are called to. And part of that process, part of that crucifixion while you're alive is to let the Word of God, to allow the Word of God to do its supernatural work in our souls, to guide and direct us when faced with these challenging moments. Here's the second thing, to actively yield to and obey the Spirit. We keep in step with Him. We say yes to Him. This requires intimacy with the Spirit. It requires more than you just having a one-sided conversation. Do you know the beauty of the Creator of the universe and, and the Son has sent His Holy Spirit to speak to us? He calls us His friend. He has things to say to you. But to hear them, you have to be still and listen. Are you soaring with eagles? Or are you wallowing in the mud? If you are, walk with Him. Be led by Him. Live by Him. Keep in step with Him. And in so doing, you will find abundant life. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your timeless Word. I thank You that Your Word is what guides us. I thank You, King Jesus, that You willingly left Your place in heaven. Set aside for some moments that place and condescended to coming here and living a life in the flesh and agreeing to take the wrath of God, the full fury, and to pay for our sin, to provide abundant life. How could we ever thank you? And Lord, may we understand today and walk in the victory that you've purchased. Victory may look something different than what we think it might, what might be, but it's victory nonetheless. In the midst of circumstances, in hard times. So today, Lord, as we prepare to participate with you, may we understand what it is to crucify 
our flesh. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.